I'm just reading a tweet from Ian Dunt, of course, who's a, a columnist with the I newspaper and our regular UK correspondent, and I quote, I'm done, I'm finished, maybe I could become a fisherman in Costa Rica. Now, with some trepidation, let's talk to the Costa Rica fisherman, Mr Ian Dunt. Why, Ian, are you contemplating such a dramatic change? <sighs> I just don't know how to... I mean, it's... British politics is basically a broken toilet. It just, you know, you think that you flush these people away and they just come back. So yesterday, David Cameron, by some distance, the most inept, vacuous prime minister this country has ever had, the man behind Brexit a referendum that he launched in order to get himself out of trouble for a local election that no one even remembers, which ended up destroying Britain's status in the world and reducing the material status of the people that live in it, as well as destroying his own career, suddenly just comes back to government. After all this time, you think, you know, of, of all the terrible things we faced, you at least think, well, we get rid of each of these particularly noxious, mendacious individuals, one by one. And yet now, apparently, they just come back. So David Cameron is now, well, he's now Lord Cameron, you know, a sentence which, you know, fights its way out of my mouth. And is the Foreign Secretary of Great Britain, as Rishi Sunak unveils his uh, reshuffle of cabinet, one which seems to be taking us back to the past, which was not quite as grim as it is now, but still really very, very dreadful indeed. But Ian, there's good news there for you because uh, Braverman's gone. Yes, no, that is the one piece of good news of what we have. I mean, that was, I mean, really, that's the only thing that keeps a dwindling sense of hope alive in my bosom is the fact that I could at least go to bed last night and tuck myself in and think, the following sentence, Suella Braverman is no longer the Home Secretary. And that alone is the thing that keeps you, you know, smiling in the night. Well, you have said that she's the worst Home Secretary the country's ever had. Which she was. I mean, look, as a position, it brings out the worst in everyone. So you could have really quite decent-minded people, people like Jack Straw or David Blunkett during the New Labour period, who would just turn into these sort of authoritarian monstrosities while they were in the Home Office. There's something about the position that just makes people deeply reactionary, deeply authoritarian. Uh, however, they were starting from quite a high base. They were dignified, conscientious human beings. She was starting from a very, very low base. I mean, she's profoundly incompetent and inept. Her brain is really just full of broken wiring. I mean, in terms of the politics, it's vicious, it's divisive. It constantly seeks to exploit existing divisions in society. And just in terms of basic levels of intelligence, she really is quite below the level of what you would expect from someone that you would meet around the bus stop at 3 a.m., let alone someone occupying one of the great sort of offices of state. So take this for example. Last week, she wrote a letter baselessly claiming that pro-Palestine marches were pro-Hamas and were hatred marches. Now, there are problems with those marches. You will easily be able to find uh, sort of placards there that I would consider deeply anti-Semitic. But to brand the entirety of the march, including everyone on it, a hate march or pro-Hamas was just absurd. And then halfway through that, she suddenly goes, oh, and it's just like the marches in Northern Ireland by which she means to say it's just like, you know, IRA, Republican marches in Northern Ireland, except that those marches do not exist. 
The people that march in Northern Ireland are typically on the Protestant side, on the Unionist side, for instance, the Orange Order. Now, they are her allies. So, I mean, quite apart from the morality of it, you just thought, you don't actually understand which side is which in Northern Ireland. You literally have no, not even the most superficial possible grasp of what goes on there. And that is really the level of intellectual achievement she demonstrated. Even if she wasn't quite as morally venal as she proved to be, she was cognitively well below the level that you would require for even a basement level job in government. So she didn't leave Sunak with much choice but to give her the boot. Well, the funny thing is, he didn't really do it for that reason. I mean, and he didn't really do it for the politics either. I mean, in terms of the politics, he was out there saying exactly the same things that she was saying. To give you an impression of what happened last weekend, during the remembrance ceremonies, far-right thugs were trying to fight their way onto Whitehall to get to the Cenotaph, supposedly in order to protect it from Hamas sympathisers. Now, that was whipped up by Suella Braverman and Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, and indeed the right-wing press, The Sun, The Daily Mail. Over the course of the week leading up to it, there was no basis to think that there was any kind of attempt to do that. The Palestinian marchers said that they weren't going to go anywhere near the Cenotaph. It was happening at a different time. All of it was whipped up as part of their tawdry culture war. And what it resulted in was activating right-wing thugs as a direct sense of responsibility both to the Prime Minister and the Home Secretary. If it was the politics that appalled him, there's no basis to show it because he backed her up every step of the way. The thing that made him get rid of her was the fact that she was owning the news agenda week after week, day after day. He was having to dance to her tune and eventually just thought, you know what, that's enough of that, we better get rid. Ian, does this mean that she has been flushed down the toilet successfully or might she bob back? Oh, she's bobbing back. She's bobbing back. I mean, partly because I've lost all hope that we can ever get rid of any of these people now that Cameron's back. But also partly because she's made her strategy very, very clear. She's going to go to the back benches. She is there going to sort of agitate as the, the talisman of true red-blooded British conservatism, which, by the way, is ironic, because the, the truth is she takes all of her cues from that kind of millennialist, deranged, US Republican right-wing, very online right-wing discourse, rather than any kind of tradition in British conservatism. She's going to sit there, she's going to try and agitate against Rishi Sunak, who she will now portray as this sort of moderate, centrist, liberal, elitist banker, um, and hope that when he invariably loses the general election next year, she will be in prime position to take the leadership of the Conservative Party. What do we know about her replacement as Home Sec, uh, this James Cleverly? James Cleverly, yeah, he's, he's actually one of the better ones. That's a very, very low bar to reach, of course, but nevertheless, he, he hurdles it quite easily. He's relatively intelligent. He's extremely presentable. He was the foreign secretary until now. He looked good on the international stage. But then it's quite an easy job, foreign secretary, because typically speaking, it's not the subject of much controversy in the UK. Now, that changes at the moment, of course, because of the Middle East, and that is a controversial issue in the UK. But until then, it's mostly, you know, Ukraine, China. There's some controversy over China. But generally speaking, this is not an area that occupies people a lot, and people tend to agree about it a lot. You know, support for Ukraine crosses right across the, the spectrum in the UK. Um, so, but generally speaking, he's quite impressive. Now, however, he's in the role that tends to corrode people's souls. So already <laughs> he's speaking about that his primary you know, mission is to stop the boats, to prevent refugees from coming to the UK, and all the kind of you know, moral corrosion that you would expect from someone in that post. 
Now, Ian, at least the big news isn't that Boris Johnson's been given a job. It's uh, only <laughs> David Cameron. Uh, I imagine his appointment came as a bit of a shock. Not yeah, only to you, to be... but to everyone. To everybody, yeah, yeah. There was, no, there was absolutely no rumour to that at all. In fact, one of the most striking things about it is the fact that Number 10 was able to execute anything at all with a degree of competence. And the secrecy around this, which had clearly been planned for weeks in advance, was competently executed. If only they could do the same thing for the state of the health service that they've done for the secrecy of their communications, we'd be in a better place. So there was absolutely widespread shock that this was going on. I was in the Sky Studios at the time. And I mean, you know, you're there with senior political correspondents from the broadcasters, with other sort of commentators. Everyone, every, I mean, that was a proper jaw hitting the floor moment. No one could actually believe it was true. And by the way, that goes for a couple of reasons. It's not just the secrecy. It's that uh, not even a month ago, Rishi Sunak was at the Tory party conference and his entire speech, which was supposed to lay out the next stage of his leadership, says, I am the change candidate. I'm standing up against the last 30 years of consensus. Now, the main figure in that 30 years of consensus was David Cameron. You know, that's the guy that he was attacking. So no one thought that he could be so indecisive and indecipherable, really, in his own narrative that he would then decide to ally himself with the very person that he was lambasting just a month before. And when he did that speech, David Cameron was sat there tweeting, attacking Rishi Sunak for cancelling HS2, the rail project that was really part of that great 30-year consensus that Rishi Sunak was so opposed to. So it wasn't just surprising for what took place. It was surprising because it just made you think, what on earth is this man's narrative? Like, what is the actual point of him? What is he trying to tell the public about who he is? And that question, far from being answered, is now even more muddled than it was before. How he's come into the job as a particularly volatile time, do you think he will change direction at all? On foreign policy, no. I doubt it. Certainly, I mean, look, you take something like Ukraine. Ukraine is a settled issue as I mentioned before. On China, he's more pro-China, or at least, let's say, more dovish than some figures um, in the Conservative Party who are much more hawkish. But the thing is that James Cleverly was quite dovish towards China as well, and so is Rishi Sunak. Noticeably, Rishi Sunak invited China to his AI summit. Um, and when it comes to Israel-Palestine, the movement in UK politics is support for Israel, but a growing sense of criticism of the manner that the Gaza operation is being conducted. And I would have thought that would largely stay the same as it would have been under Cleverly. I can't resist asking you about the, uh, the Sunak-Elon Musk summit. You were dreading that. Oh, my God. I've never... It, the, the demeaning spectacle of it. I mean, even for Number 10 to invite this far-right tech bro imbecile and to give him high status in its own summit that seemed bad enough and then for and then when the this thing takes place it's an it's an inter, it's supposed to be a chat between rishi sunak and elon musk and then what turns out is that it's rishi sunak asking him the questions so the power status between elon musk and the prime minister of great britain is that elon musk stands above them and he will supplicate himself to him so in that moment not only did rishi sunak humiliate himself he humiliated his country and the office that he claims to stand in. Finally, will all of this help the Tories uh, come next year's election? <laughs> <laughs> no. 
No, it will not. I mean, you look at people's views on David Cameron. I mean, they, they, they always just thought, what's the point of David Cameron? Like, you know, he was a complete failure. This is supposed to appeal to moderate conservatives in sort of southern seats who were tempted by the Liberal Democrats and, in fact, about to vote for the Liberal Democrats in large numbers. But those guys are the guys who were most irritated by Brexit, which was the result of David Cameron doing it. So you, you're not going to get these guys. You will alienate your other block of voters. I mean, it is just the most deranged strategy on earth. So it's in that way quite unsurprising that Rishi Sunak has decided to opt for it. Enjoy your new career as a fisherman, and uh, we may talk if you ever come back to port. <laughs> I've been. That's the voice of Ian Dunn, columnist for the Iron newspaper and our regular, well, he was, our regular UK correspondent. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.